All right. Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum Speaker Webinar Series. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Alberto Fernandez, Vice President of the Middle East Media Research Institute, join us to discuss the Middle East media war. wars. Mr. Fernandez will speak for 10 to 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. We'll do our best to get to all questions, but we have many participants on this webinar, so I apologize in advance if we do not get to yours today. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. Alberto Fernandez. Uh, thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be on here uh, with you. I hope uh, I can be concise so there'll be plenty of time uh, for questions. I usually have probably more than uh, <laughs> 10 minutes worth of content to share, so I'm going to try to be as kind of you know, scrunch it all in as much as I can. Basically, when you're looking at media in the Middle East, you have the phenomenon of uh, the most significant phenomenon. You can go on an hour, of course, is the proliferation of Arabic satellite channels, which began in the 1990s uh, on the entertainment side and on the, on the uh, information side. The most, of course, the most famous one being Al Jazeera in 1996. And uh, we'll get to that. But if you look at media in the region today, if you look at media in the Arabic-speaking world, in the Middle East, it falls into several categories. The largest and the most significant category are media outlets connected to regimes, uh, to the authoritarian regimes in the region. And these can be, uh, you know, these can be entertainment channels, these can be uh, private, ostensibly private or commercial channels, or more often, channels connected, directly funded by regimes. I mean, some of the most famous ones there, of course, are, are things like Al Arabiya, funded by Saudis, uh, Sky News Arabia, found, uh, funded by uh, 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 the United Arab Emirates, and, and of course, Al Jazeera, funded by the, uh, the, the state of Qatar. These are channels that uh, generally, by and large, mimic the foreign policy goals and the foreign policy lines and red lines uh, of the states that fund them. The, the second largest category after regime media, which I think is, is very pertinent to our discussion, are, are religious or religiously oriented stations, of which there are a plethora in the region. Um, these are overwhelmingly Islamic channels, Again, private, public, a mixture of the two. Uh, I should mention that there are no public ones, but there are a handful of uh, Christian channels in the region, either associated with Christian minorities or places like Lebanon or broadcasting from Cyprus, but that's a very, very small group. The large, overwhelming number of channels, of religious channels in the region are Islamically oriented channels, and some of them are uh, you know, obviously concerned with uh, faith and with religion itself, the religion itself, but many of them are politically religious, and they tend to be on obviously on the Islamist side. Uh, they can be Salafi channels, or they can be uh, Islamist, i.e., Muslim Brotherhood channels. There, I think the interesting development has been over the last, say, six years, is the development of over a dozen Islamist channels beaming from Turkey uh, into the Arab world in Arabic. These are channels that are Muslim Brotherhood channels, uh, very extreme content, 
uh, a lot of anti-Semitic content, a lot of anti-American, anti-Israel, anti-West, anti-Christian content, meaning to places like the Gulf and especially Egypt. Like a lot of these people are Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood that moved after uh, 2013, moved to the Gulf, usually to Qatar, then wound up in Turkey. It is a very aggressive, very aggressive, very large footprint media operation. Uh, the sad thing, of course, is that this type of phenomenon that used to exist, this type of Islamist media phenomenon used to exist very much in, uh, it, it funded by Gulf states. And Gulf states, with the exception of Qatar, had stopped doing that. Saudi Arabia has stopped generally doing that. But a lot of that content has basically moved from the Gulf, from funders in the Gulf world, in, in the Gulf area, to Turkey. Turkey is the new promoter, you could say, of radical Islamist media content in Arabic, uh, Sunni, of course, content uh, in Arabic to the Arab world. There are there are Shia militias channels. There are you know Hezbollah has a channel from Lebanon. There are lots of radical uh, uh, media outlets coming out of Iraq. Uh, as well, but uh, but the you know the, the in terms of the footprint, the largest one is all of that is which is occurring from Turkey. There are also Salafi channels, extreme Salafi channels, uh, in places like Egypt and other places which are very extreme. They have they tend to be very small, but kind of very extreme content, preaching both anti-Semitic and anti-Shia content. You know, mimicking the the split that exists between kind of Sunni extremists and Shia extremists. The third, obviously, uh, uh, category of channels that exist in the region are those funded by outside countries, you know, like the Western countries, the United States, the UK, France, Germany, all have Arabic language channels. Russia today has a very large and aggressive Arabic language presence, as do the Iranians as well, more than, than a few. But obviously, if you look in terms of impact, the one that has had the most impact, the most notorious, and the most famous is Al Jazeera. And Al Jazeera has a very colorful and interesting history. We can talk about it in, in great length uh, about that. But it's very much the station that kind of captured the tempo and the, the pulse of the region. Uh, rising in the 1990s, uh, identifying itself with publicizing big events in the region which captured audience. Uh, obviously, the first one that comes to mind is the promotion or coverage of Osama bin Laden, uh, the Taliban, and all of that related in the late 1990s and the aughts uh, as well, kind of a, something that gave uh, Al Jazeera notoriety. And moving from that to the Iraq War, where Al Jazeera was very much seen as <clears throat> a big critic of the United States and a big supporter of uh, insurgent movements and the narrative of insurgent movements against the United States as well. And an anniversary that we just had just a few days ago, the Tammuz War, the Hezbollah uh, Israel War of uh, 2006. Al Jazeera was a major pr promoter of kind of the Hezbollah line and the concept or the idea that Hezbollah was triumphant uh, in this conflict with uh, with Israel in 2006. Move away, you move ahead a couple of years and you have the Gaza War, the uh, Operation Cast Lead Award, uh, war, which again, Al Jazeera publicized as very much 
a, a Hamas victory. And in fact, their, their media campaign, which was intensive and lengthy, was built around the, uh, the, the, uh, the motto, Gaza triumphs, uh, but it's very much Hamas triumphs uh, as they did. Obviously, we can move forward. Every major event that happened, there was a kind of an Al Jazeera component, whether the Arab Spring or the civil war in Syria. Uh, it, it's very much kind of captured that time. One had a very specific line, not surprising, very much mimicking that of the foreign policy of Qatar. There's a very, very close correlation, 100%, near 100% correlation between Al Jazeera's editorial line and the editorial line or the foreign policy line of, uh, of uh, uh, the state of Qatar. The U.S. government, and this is something which I think is a huge problem, generally, with the exception of Al Jazeera for a couple of years in the Bush administration, when there was an Al Jazeera monitoring group, an interagency monitoring group uh, during the Bush administration, arising out of concern about how they covered certain things in the region. I was on that monitoring, monitoring group for a while, along with other people from the State Department and from the White House and other organizations. Uh, aside from that very brief attempt to kind of hold the official media outlet of a ostensibly friendly state uh, to account, generally we have a problem that occurs in that we have media that occurs in the region which is hostile to the United States. Some of that media is from uh, governments or organizations which are hostile to the United States, terrorist groups like Hamas or Hezbollah or Iran. That, that's obvious. But there's a huge amount of content that appears in media outlets that belong to or, or influence or control by countries that are ostensibly allies of the United States. And I'm not talking here about, uh, you know, an opposition or an independent media outlet, which is criticizing the United States, as you might see, say, in France or in Germany or in the UK. No, we're talking about media environments in places like Egypt or Jordan or the Gulf or Turkey, for example, where the power of the state, of authoritarian regimes, ostensibly allied or friendly to the United States, preach and promote poison uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Some of this material is, is uh, obviously very anti-American, but there's also different, different spins. So there's a kind of anti-Semitic anti slash anti-Israel component, anti-West, anti-Christian, depending on the country and the place. But, but it's pervasive. Now, you might say that this is the problem in government. Government people in government might say, well, what do we care of, say, Jordan or, or Egypt or Turkey? Uh, what they're saying in their media. They're actually cooperating with us on the intelligence side or on the military security side. Well, the problem with that is that you have basically a disconnect having. You may have a, a security or a military relationship that works, that, that is mutually beneficial for both sides. But what is actually going on is this friendly state is using anti-Americanism as a kind of way to legitimize itself to its population and kind of make itself look good uh, among populations that 
are, are anti-American or anti-Western. So what these friendly governments are doing basically is deepening the, the sense of the masses in these countries against the United States. And worse than that, what happens is what they're doing is creating or feeding into a broader narrative that the real extremists use, that the Al-Qaeda's and the ISIS's of the world use as well. So you basically have a situation in the region where many of our friends, uh, unintentionally or intentionally, and I would say intentionally because in these are countries where the security apparatus has a heavy hand in the media, uh, are in trying to protect themselves or immunize themselves from criticism, are basically doing some of the spade work uh, for our enemies and kind of poisoning the broader uh, media environment against the United States and against our interests. And this is extraordinarily dangerous. And it's something that has been going on for years and continues to this day. I notice I'm at 13 minutes, so I'm going to stop there. There's a lot more I could say, but uh, I wanted to keep uh, be respectful of the time that we have. Of course, thank you so much for that. We have quite a few questions coming in already. Uh, the first one is, what are the common themes of the Islamist networks in terms of content? Is there a pattern? Well, there is a pattern, but there are many patterns. Obviously, the, the big one is that the solution to the region's problems are to be found in kind of the Islamist narrative, the Islamist political agenda. Um, that's obviously, I mean, it's, it's about power. It's about a, a mode of governance uh, and government that they, these are groups, these are revolutionary groups that want to be in power. So that's the big picture. But within that subtext, of course, there are uh, 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 anti-American, anti-Semitic, anti-Western, anti-Christian, uh, uh, you know, conspiracy theory, uh, anti-gay, anti, you could go on and on and on, but these are subtexts of a broader one, which basically says those guys, meaning the regimes in power, are the tools of the Jews or the tools of the Americans or controlled by the gays or controlled by the Christians or controlled by whatever. And we're, we're the true believers. We're the ones that have to be followed, not those guys who are corrupt and contaminated and evil in the pocket of the bad guys. Pick, pick, your, pick your category in that long list of, 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 of uh, descriptions that I, that I mentioned. Thank you. How much real influence does Al, Jaz Al Jazeera have with young people and progressives? Uh, well, it's interesting you mentioned the word progressives. Uh, first of all, of course, I mean, I think many of you may know this. There's a huge difference between Al Jazeera in Arabic and Al Jazeera in English. Al Jazeera in English is a kind of progressive, you know, left wing, whatever you want to call it, kind of uh, station. In Arabic, it's different. In Arabic, it is mostly an Islamist station with a kind of pan-Arab, Arabism subtext, very much mirroring the ruler, uh, Hamid bin Khalifa, the emir of Qatar at the time, who was inspired by both kind of the left and by political Islam. Uh, 
But the people who founded Al Jazeera were Islamists, uh, largely connected with the Muslim Brotherhood, often connected with Hamas. And that's been the entire subtext of Al Jazeera in Arabic. So Al Jazeera in Arabic is so Islamist that a few years ago, the Qataris established another network uh, to basically uh, 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 service the progressive or left-wing Arab audience. And so the Qataris have Al Jazeera, which is the big dog, the big thing that they have. And then they have an outfit, Al Arabiya or Al Arabiya Al Jadid, uh, out of London, which is a kind of a secular, left-wing, progressive outlet uh, connected to a former member of the Israeli Knesset uh, turned Arab nationalist, a guy named Azmi Bashara, uh, a Palestinian or Israeli Arab Christian who now has a Qatari citizenship. So Al Jazeera basically has two irons in their fire. They have the big Islamist iron in the fire, which is Al Jazeera. And then more recently, in the last few years, they kind of decided to hedge their bets. They created this kind of progressive uh, uh, option, also paid for by Qatar uh, from London. Thank you. You mentioned the short-lived monitoring group. What is preventing the West from saying enough is enough? I, I think it's just uh, the attention span is, uh, you know, how much attention are you going to devote uh, in the West to this? Who actually does it? Who in government? In our government, you know? Uh, or in other governments, does it? Who has, as we used to say in the State Department, who has the pen? Who has the power to convene? Is it the State Department? Is it the intelligence community? Is it the White House? Where does the center of mass lie uh, of people who care about this, and even more important, they care about this, that have the knowledge to contribute something to the debate? Because you don't want to just be complaining to people you know, your stuff is bad or your stuff is evil or whatever. And actually, you don't know what you're talking about, which uh, is, I think, a problem that happens with government. You want to confront these states. You want to criticize them. You want to do it intelligently, like you know what is actually happening. That's a great point. Um, how should a more effective Egyptian counter-reaction look against the Turkish Islamist media wave absent a strong civil society? This is a problem. I think this is a problem with media outlets uh, throughout the region, right? It's the internal temptation is control and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, conviction or, or, or uh, credibility. Uh, regimes always tend to, this, by the way, this is not just unique to the Arab world. We do this in the West as well, you know? Uh, the more something has credibility, the more real it is. You kind of have to let it be organic, let it be honest. And uh, governments, even Western governments, but especially authoritarian Middle Eastern governments, want to control things, you know? So, for example, if you want to criticize Turkey and the Turkish regime, it would seem that the most logical way to do it is from a kind of reformist, liberal, secularist, enlightened uh, point of view. But if you're an authoritarian Arab regime uh, that's kind of thuggish, uh, that also throws those types of people in prison, it's difficult for you to have credibility when you're criticizing Erdogan. If you're kind of doing things more or less the same, but from your 
angle. Uh, so this is the problem that all these governments face. The more credible something is, the more critical it's going to be. The more it's going to say, well, this is bad, and that's bad too. Governments don't usually want that. They just want a monochrome criticism of, you know, our enemies are bad and our friends are good. And you can do some of that, but uh, it hurts your credibility. Thank you. Do you think there's a correlation between Al Jazeera and the radical Islamist groups? Well, there is, but of course, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, you know, correlation does not prove causality, right? Uh, obviously, Islamism and Salafism in the Arab world uh, precedes Al Jazeera uh, for many, many you know decades or many, many years. Uh, so these are movements that are independent of long before Al Jazeera. What Al Jazeera did was to mainstream the discourse, to take the discourse from uh, a discourse that was already occurring in society, but not on television. It was occurring off screen. It was occurring within the society about uh, politics, about Islamist politics. Al Jazeera brought it front and center and made it credible and made it respectable. I mean, I'll give you an example. The last time I, well, one of the last times I was on Al Jazeera, I was on Al Jazeera as on one of their debate shows, which is one of their, uh, their premium things. I think this is about five years ago or six years ago. It was about uh, 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 the Syrian regime and you know who's responsible for Assad and basically the idea was that we're the Americans are it's our fault right because it's always America's fault. Well, okay, I agreed to do it. That went on. The guy who was debating against me in Arabic was an Iraqi, a former communist living in Sweden who had weeks before sworn allegiance on Al Jazeera to ISIS. That's who Al Jazeera picked to debate me. Uh, you know, that tells, I mean, it, you know, it kind of tells you all you need to know, right? They did not regard a guy who had sworn allegiance to ISIS as beyond the pale. I actually laughed at him. I said, you're pro-ISIS. And yet you pay taxes to the king of Sweden. But actually, should I should not have had to debate someone with that kind of background. So that's what Al Jazeera did. It kind of accelerated and mainstreamed uh, radical discourses, which already existed and still exist, but made them more kind of upfront and personal. Great. So along those lines, we have a question that came in. I have friends who think that Al Jazeera in English is an excellent news source. How can I counter that? I think Al Jazeera in English is a legitimate news source. It's, it's like I said, it's left of center, but it's, it, it, it's within the realm of what is generally, I mean, sometimes, you know, on the opinion, it can go one way or another, but, but it's, it's within the mainstream of what Western media is. And it is a Western media outlet. But the big impact of Al Jazeera is not in English, it's in Arabic. 
Does the growing Israeli ties with moderate Sunni states, such as the UAE, exert a moderate influence on the local media in these countries? If not, why not? It does. It does. You've seen uh, a kind of uh, moderation in the Saudi slash UAE media outlets, a kind of broadening of perspectives uh, that wasn't there before. Uh, on, on, the, on the distaff side, Al Jazeera uses that closeness or that growing closeness that exists between, say, Saudi Arabia or the UAE as a way of attacking Saudi Arabia and the UAE, of saying, see, they're with the Zionists, they're with the enemy, and they'll have on some Palestinian extremists talking about that. And so, on. So, so, yeah, it, it has moderated or has brought, I should say, more than moderated, kind of broadened the perspective of media in those countries, which is a very good thing. It's also been used as a tool against them, not just by Al Jazeera, but by uh, radical outlets throughout the region. Thank you so much. And our last question is, can you comment on the role of newspapers in the region real quick? Uh, you know, like the West, there are newspapers in the region, obviously, but it is they're, they're heavily declining. The same things that we see happening in the West are happening in the region. I think more important than newspapers, of course, and more important than, than kind of television is the future of the region in terms of media is social media. And uh, parts of the media, parts of the region, say the Gulf states, for example, are among the most connected societies in the world. I mean, the percentage of Saudis or Emiratis who use Twitter, who use Facebook, is higher than even in the U.S. So, so rather than tell, rather than newspapers, the big challenge to broadcast media in the region is the growth of social media and the social media platforms. Thank you. Very interesting. And real quick, can you just let us know where we can find some more of your work? Uh, I am on Twitter. Uh, I'm at. Uh, at Alberto F5, I think, because there are many Alberto Fernandezes uh, on Twitter. Obviously, I also write at memory and I write at other places as well. Uh, if you want a good piece on US broadcasting in Arabic, there's a piece I wrote for Providence Magazine uh, back in February of this year, which has information on that as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar. Thank you again, Mr. Fernandez, for speaking with us today. Thank you. Please be on the, uh, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for Ashley Perry's Israel Insider Update. Uh, thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.